0: Welcome, folks, to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I have Jessica Rhodes joining us today. Hello, Jessica. Hey, Henry. Thanks for being with us today. Let me give our audience a bit of background on you, and then I'll have you add to that. Uh, Jessica is the founder and CEO of Interview Connections. Interview Connections is the premier source for booking outstanding podcast guests. Uh, The Interview Connections team of booking agents works with podcasters like myself uh, to find and book guests on their shows. Now, they also represent dozens of highly qualified guest experts to connect them with podcast hosts for interviews. And I've used Interview Connections before. And so decided Jessica would be a great guest on our show. Jessica is the host of the hit weekly web TV show Interview Connections TV. She's the host of the Road to Success podcast. And she is the co host of the Podcast Producers. That's a 10-episode audio series selected by Apple as a how-to podcast show on iTunes. Great success there. Uh, Jessica is a regular speaker at Dream Business Academy and has shared the stage with dozens of top podcasters at Podcast Movement and Podcast New England. She's married and a proud mom to a very busy toddler named Nathan and baby Lucy. So, Jessica, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the show, and please share with us a bit more on your background and exciting stuff you're working on today. Well,
1: thanks for having me, Henry. That was a fantastic intro. I'm not sure what was uh, <laughs> what was missing there, but I pretty much eat sleep and breathe podcast interviews. You know, as you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Interview Connections. And that's really, uh, my business is very, very niche. We are, we book interviews, we get people on shows. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, again, you know, I'm a mom, I started my business to be a stay at home mom. Um, that has changed over the years, because now I work in an office and have much more full time mm-hmm. in my business. But that's kind of my, my back story is, you know, the business came out of the personal lifestyle desire to to be an at-home mom, and it's grown really nicely, and I've gotten really, really into podcasting and podcast interviews, and so I'm excited to talk to you today and share some value with your listeners.
0: Thank you, and and welcome to the show, obviously. So today, folks, we're going to listen and and learn about Jessica's entrepreneurial journey. We're going to get her tips and advice on running a small business, as she has started herself, and runs a successful small business. And then some tips for small business owners on the topic of podcasting, how you might be able to use that in your business. Uh, But where I'd like to start, Jessica, as we always do with folks like yourself, is in that transition. So... Before you decided to be a stay at home mom, what were you doing? Were you working outside of the home? Tell us about that. Yes.
1: Um, yeah. So, my background is that before I started my business, before I started, um, you know, a family with my husband and had kids, I was working for a nonprofit organization um, called Clean Water Action. And we were uh, Clean Water Action is an environmental nonprofit. I was in the canvassing um, section of the organization. So, I was actually a director of a staff. Of door to door canvassers. So we would knock on doors um, in residential communities to build membership for the organization and also to fundraise for the organization. So I was quite literally in door to door sales. And I did that from when I was, you know, I first got my job as a canvasser when I was 19 and in college, and then worked my way up, you know, became a trainer and a manager. And then after I graduated from college, became a director of my own office, of my own staff. And so that was really, you know, I'm 28 years old now, so you know from 19 to about 25 that's what I was doing professionally and you know after we got married um my husband and I Jamie after we got married and then we wanted to start a family you know my priorities and what I wanted to do professionally just changed a lot you know I no longer just wanted to be working all the time I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom I wanted to have kids and I didn't want to have kids and then just you know 6 weeks later put them in daycare and go right back to my job um, Um, everything, there were just these clicks that happened that said, okay, work is no longer just about work. It's about giving me the lifestyle that allows me to be with my family, which is really the most important thing. So, so then I I started my business and that just gets into the whole, you know, now second phase of my professional career, which is being an entrepreneur, you know, started as a virtual assistant and, and, and then it's grown from there, but I don't want to give you an hour long monologue. I'll let you interject. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's good. It's a great story. What what did you study in college?
1: I studied strategic and organizational communication and my focus was organizational leadership. And I've realized that since I left college they have shortened the name of that Uh, major. It is quite a mouthful, (laughs) (laughs) but I essentially was a communication student and I focused on leadership studies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, much better, much easier to say. And what what did you envision at that point that you would do with that degree?
1: Well, at that point, I was really... You know into my job, so when I was working at Clean Water Action in college, the work that I was doing for that organization was really complementary to what I was learning in college. And I kind of thought that I would just keep working my way up in that nonprofit like, go from the Canvas staff to uh, maybe a program or policy position, maybe move into the national staff. Like, I kind of thought I would just keep moving up in that nonprofit. And, and that was kind of what I was thinking I would do. I was really interested in politics and community organizing and anyone who has ever worked in politics in any way knows how much it drains you. It's, it's good for some people. Some people will eat sleep, you know, they, they just live politics and they love it. And I loved it for a little while until I realized I'm a much happier person when I'm not working in politics.
0: (laughs) So if I had met you in college and said, listen, by, by your late 20s, you're going to be an entrepreneur, what would you have said to that?
1: I don't know what I would have said. I probably wouldn't be surprised because I, my whole childhood, I really jumped around from thing to thing. Like, I, um, when I was a little kid, I would try soccer and then I would try horseback riding and then I would try, you know, theater and then dance and then singing. So I did a whole bunch of activities. So I think that even though I was pretty into what I was doing at my job in college and my major, if you had said, oh, you're going to be, you know, an entrepreneur, I probably wouldn't have really been sure what you meant. <laughs> like, I don't think I really use the word entrepreneur a lot. So, yeah, no, I don't know. But I, I also don't know if I would have been surprised because, you know, like I said, growing up, I was always into lots of different things. I've got my eyes on lots of different ideas. You know, I have that creative itis.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like my problem was just my shiny object syndrome. Oh, exactly. I, like to I
1: totally have shiny object syndrome. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: it's, so it sounds like also similar to myself, you'd maybe... Your parents' influence was go get a college degree, go get a good job. Yeah. Was, was those were those the messages you were receiving that back then?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was no other option. I mean, like you went to college, and if you didn't go to college, it's because you really struggled in school. You know, um, my brothers didn't go to college, but they they really struggled um, with school, and it just wasn't. Something you know, some they kind of could barely graduate from college or from high school, so to go to college it just wasn't wasn't right for them. But unless that was you know, but I didn't struggle in school. You know, I was a B student, so it was just expected that you went to college. And it's interesting what's changing now is that college is not a ticket to a successful professional career. I mean, there's so many entrepreneurs that didn't go to college. Um, you know, I have a good friend who we've been friends for a couple of years and he just, and he is a very successful business owner. And he just recently told me that he never graduated high school. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. But it's like, you would never have guessed that because, you know, he's so savvy in his business and his marketing and finances and everything, but there's no high school or college degree there. And it just kind of goes to show you that what? are we getting from our degrees? What are we getting from like professional and, um, you know, traditional school, which goes into a whole other topic of how I want to homeschool. Cause I'm just not convinced that our traditional education system is going to lead to successful business owners and entrepreneurs.
0: Very interesting. And so is that what you hope for your children <laughs> is that they won't go the career path they'll go the entrepreneurial path? Well,
1: it's, I, I, um, being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Um, so I don't think that everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Um, there are, you know, we need people to hold a lot of different jobs. So I don't necessarily hope that my kids become entrepreneurs. Um, but I do hope they see it as an equally viable option in their professional future. I don't, you know, cause I just remember growing up and just only hearing that, businesses, you know, only 5% of businesses fail or what, what is, I don't even know what the stat is, but it's not good. I mean, most businesses fail after five years, you shouldn't start a business or you need tons of money to start a business. And it's just, it's just not viewed at as an option. And we're, I don't think that as, as kids grow up, um, the optimism that entrepreneurs really have is just crushed. I mean, I wanted to go to school and major in theater. That was my I did theater all through high school, all through, you know, elementary school, middle school, and high school. I did theater and I wanted to go and major in theater. And the big message that I was sent literally by my my parents, my my theater teachers don't major in theater. Do not pursue that career path. It's you just shouldn't do it. And I'm not saying that was bad advice because I did eventually take that advice. I did not end up majoring in theater, and I went a different route. And things have turned out really well. It wasn't a good fit for me, but it just makes me wonder that why are we trying to tell our kids to not go for what they want if it's going to be a hard path? Um, I don't know how much this is relevant to a business show, but. <laughs> I like this conversation, Henry. I mean, uh, I just, I guess what I, to answer your original question, I want my kids to go after their dream hundred percent, not thinking about the chances of success.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's absolutely relevant because mm-hmm. this, this is that, that journey, how we get there. And we each have a slightly different path that we took, but a lot of our listeners haven't made that transition yet. So that's why it's so valuable to share those stories. And I think you're touching on something which is very interesting to me, and I can definitely go off mm-hmm. on a tangent. It's this whole thing, like you talk about with your theater track, where I think at some point we have been indoctrinated by our system to shut down anything that is a creative pursuit. right? And then, And then we end up as adults and not having that to tap into. And I believe that is so critical to business success. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, when I was told, you know, don't major in theater, you know, you can do it as, you know, for fun, you can do community theater, but really you should not pursue it as a as a profession. I mean, you could fill in the blank with anything. Um, if somebody, I mean, there's people making a living with their business doing so many different creative things, but so many people are out there saying, oh, that that's a creative and fun thing. You should do that as a hobby. but don't pursue it as a profession because it, it won't work out and it'll kill the joy. Um, and I just think that's so dangerous because we spend most of our hours of most of our days working. So why should the things that we enjoy and that light us up and that we feel creative, why should they only be the hobbies that we do once a week? Um, Now, granted, not every creative and fun thing needs to be your full-time job. I mean, work is work and they're obviously, um, not every single day is going to be puppies and rainbows, but if we are sending a message to our kids that work is work and you shouldn't try to make your work something you enjoy, I just think that's, that's really dangerous and it leads to people just living for the weekend, which sucks. Yeah, it does.
0: (laughs) And I think it's such a hard thing to balance. I'm about to send my daughter off to college. Mm. And so we've had those same discussions. It's a hard thing because sure, I, I, I don't know that I want her going and getting a theater degree if that was her pursuit and then ending up with a hundred thousand dollar debt for school and that she can't pay off. So there's this balancing act and I don't know the answer, but you're absolutely right that it's, it's, we got to figure out a different path.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you're right because again, I totally think that not majoring in theater was the right decision. I am glad that I got that advice. But then again, I look back and a lot of my, I'm going to be going to my 10 year reunion in the fall. And a lot of my friends from high school that were in theater are making a living acting and dancing. It's amazing that the ones that ignored that, um, mm. advice to not do it. They went through it and they are, I mean, w- w- uh, one person that I did theater with, like, she literally has a full-time job in Las Vegas as a professional dancer, not like a dirty kind of dancer, but you know, like it's <laughs> like, she's not a stripper, but she's actually, right. you know, doing what she was doing in high school, which is so cool. So I just wonder how it would be different if we just gave that full optimism and, you know, gave the support to that optimism.
0: Yeah. Last point on on the whole education thing. I, I think for me, the one thing that's critical, whether we get it from formal schooling or we learn it on our own, is we have to learn how to learn. Yeah. And that's the thing that's critical, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because I um, I mentioned that, you know, I, I'm personally interested in homeschooling, but my husband's not so much into it. So he and I started a podcast together where we're talking about it on a podcast. Wow. We, we're really seeing, we're not seeing eye to eye on it. So we said... I said, Jamie, let's, I'm a podcaster, okay? So why don't we start a podcast? This is a conversation that so many other parents, especially like young parents with young kids like us, are having, so why don't we, you know, do a podcast about it? And I mean, that's the thing we're talking about. We are end up not just talking about homeschool or public school, but we're talking about the bigger topics of how are we learning and what is the purpose of school? Is it to teach you, like to teach you facts and to pass tests, or is it to teach you about, um, larger things in life, like how to work with people. and, um, I mean, just to tie it into business, it's like h- how is going to school or your education and childhood going to lead to a professional career? And what will that professional career be based on what your education was like?
0: Yeah, yeah, extremely interesting. So you find yourself then um, expecting a child. Mm-hmm you decide you're going to be a stay at home mom. That was then obviously the catalyst that decided, all right, I'm going to have to figure something else out. Um, and so take me to that point Mm -hmm. in time. What then, what did you end up doing? What is that when you started this business, what business did you start at that point? Yeah.
1: So I started as a virtual assistant. Um, my dad is a business coach. Um, and he is an entrepreneur. He became an entrepreneur in his forties. Um, So when I was a teenager, he became an entrepreneur after long-term unemployment and, uh, over the years, you know, grew successful businesses online working from home. So when I became pregnant, one wanted basically wanted an income at home, I, I wanted a way to, have an income at home. So he showed me about the virtual assistant industry because he had been using virtual assistants in his business. And so I kind of, um, let him take me under his wing and, and learn about online business and marketing. And so I started by being a, a VA as they call them, uh, doing, I was managing Pinterest profiles and doing client support and booking interviews for podcasts. And that was kind of the, you know, I was, I was a VA for several, several months. And then about six to nine months later, I launched interview connections. And so I transitioned from working for clients by the hour Um, booking interviews or doing social media marketing into having a service business with packages that people pay a flat rate for. And then I could build a team um, of people to help me fulfill the service. And so that's where I've gone out today is that it was probably about uh, nine months or so ago where I canceled my last virtual assistant client and just now do interview connections
0: wonderful. What well, what do you enjoy the most about this new business interview connections?
1: I honestly the thing that I enjoy the most is that there is the time freedom that I am no longer tracking my hours. That is the thing that I really wanted to stop doing was was tracking my hours working hourly. And even as a as a VA, as an independent contractor, I mean, you can charge you know, high fees, high um, hourly fees, but I'm still, I hated turning on my timer and saying, okay, I worked a half an hour. Um, and then I just have to time that and then invoice at the end of the month. I mean, it just, it still, I've, it felt so much like a job. And I had, I really, it took, it didn't take me long to really feel like an entrepreneur and a business owner. And I just didn't want to be working hourly. So now I feel like I can increase my income and growth as a business so much faster because I'm not saying I'm it's not being tracked by my time but it's being tracked yeah. by my results.
0: Yeah, I mean when you made that transition you were still trading time for money right. although you were it was your small business, but again that puts a limit on how much you can grow. Now you have virtually unlimited potential for the business. Yes. Uh, so you have an office, though I believe you mentioned yeah. uh, when we were chatting earlier. So to tell me about that environment now, this is a virtual business and that you don't have customers coming in the door, right. but you have people on staff. So describe that a bit for yeah. us.
1: Yeah, so it's a virtual business. We're online. I have a team, and they're all independent contractors, and they all work from their respective homes. I have an office outside of my home because my husband has a job that he telecommutes to. So when he started working from home last summer, things were just way too crowded. There was no way that he could be working from home and I could be working from home. It was too crowded. And I had been at home for a couple of years and I was kind of ready to get out of the house. So I rent an office space in a little office building a couple miles from my house. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just me in here because <laughs> all of my, my team are all over the country. A lot of us are in the Northeast. Um, in fact, one of my team members is, is, uh, you know, 20 minutes away from me. So she actually might come and, and work, here just as a, you know, just as a different scenery. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I'm in my office just because I, I need to get out of my house. You know, I loved working from home for a while, but it just got a little bit crowded with a husband at home and two little kids as well.
0: Yeah. So and I'm assuming then you also use virtual assistant yeah. services, virtual office services, all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, everything is online. Um, my team, they're, you know, they all work virtually. Um, they're all, you know, they're technically virtual assistants, independent contractors, but we're, but a lot of them, this is, you know, I'm their only client. They work for mm-hmm. interview connections, you know, 20 hours, 40 hours a week. Um, and we use services, uh, softwares like Slack. Um, Slack is a great tool to communicate with an online team, you know, we can instant message with each other. Um, we're using high rise for our CRM. So there's just a lot of cool tools that allow us to, you know, have this virtual office space. I mean, sometimes I'm such an extrovert that I would love to just have us all in one office, you know, talking to each other face to face, but it's just in today's in today's world, I mean, as my my friend Jason says, it's an amazing time to be alive. You know, I could build this whole business in person, you know, have that agency model where everyone's in the same office, but that would be a lot more expensive. And I'm not sure the results would would reflect how much more expensive it would be, you know, like it just makes more sense to have it be online.
0: Yeah, not to mention you, you would attract you wouldn't attract certain talent that doesn't want that or can't do that.
1: Right. I don't know if you've ever read the book. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the title, but it was written by the guys who founded Basecamp. Um, and that's we use Basecamp and High Rise, it's uh, 37 Signals and they, it's like a, it's like a business Bible. And they just talk about all these traditional business things and how they do it so much differently. And there's, their team is all virtual. Like they have their employees all over the world because they said, you know, you want to go for the best talent, the best people, and not just be limited by the people that live within a 20 mile, you know, 20 minute radius of your office. Yeah.
0: And we'll get the name of that book. I will. Yeah. I'll
1: find it and send it to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll put that in the show notes at our, at it's our website. It's a great
1: book. How I read Your it business. in like three hours. It's really That's good.
0: A, I look forward to reading that. So the next question I was going to ask you, which you touched on, which is, is this whole challenge of starting a home-based business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm home-based as well. One of the challenges I have that you alluded to is you get rather isolated. Yeah. And so how do you overcome that specifically?
1: Yeah, it's definitely is a challenge um, to feel that isolation. In fact, another thing that my husband and I talk about is, should we move back into the city where there's more people around? Because we both mm-hmm. have jobs, my business, his job, where we work um, remotely from our co-workers. And so there is that isolation. And how do you solve that? Well, I, I find myself, I'm on the phone a lot. I'm on Skype a lot. So there, to an extent you can get that, you know, social <laughs> socialization with coworkers by phone and Skype, but really nothing replaces that in-person Interaction. I travel quite a bit. I'm going to conferences uh, quite a bit throughout the year. I feel like the spring through the fall is kind of heavy conference time, and then winter time, we all kind of hibernate. So I feel like I get a lot of that, you know, a lot of the peer to peer interaction by traveling to conferences. And I'm seeing more and more, you know, local things happening. Like a, a fellow entrepreneur here in Rhode Island is, she's doing a, you know, female entrepreneurs in Rhode Island um, trying to get a bunch of female entrepreneurs at a, at a bar in Providence and just to get together and network. And unfortunately I can't make it tonight, but I think there's local stuff you can do to connect with other entrepreneurs that are also working from home, um, like meetup.com and things make it really easy to get people together. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely the struggle because it's so important to stay connected with other people and not, and not get isolated.
0: Yeah, those are great tips. Uh, the other things I've done in, in addition to some of those things is I've joined my local chamber of commerce. I mm-hmm. volunteer there through SCORE. And so that's given me an opportunity to meet other professionals, other business owners, and that, that's helped me as well. Yeah. Uh, when you think back to when you were first starting your home office, uh, any other tips or advice that come back that you might have done differently in getting set up at home?
1: Yeah, I think I would have done a better job of scheduling my my time working one of the benefits of working from home and having little kids at home is everything. Yeah. The plus and the, the pro and the con was that it was the schedule was so fluid. I could work a half an hour and then pop out and be with the kids. Then I would go back and work in half an hour. And really what that resulted in was me feeling like I worked from the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed and that was really a struggle. So even though you have a home based office and you can work whenever because you're right two steps away from your computer, what I would have done differently and my tip to other home based business owners is to schedule your time in your office when you go. And, and, and let's just not assume that people have a separate office space do what you can to have a separate space in your house. That is just for your work. Like not at your dining room table or your kitchen table or your bedroom. Like if you can, make an office, whether it's a closet that you can clear clothes out of and put a desk in or your basement or something Have a, a, a dedicated area that is just for your business. So when you close that door or pull the curtain or whatever, you are just there working and, and kids and spouses can't come and interrupt you that when you're there, you're working. Um, but yeah, that, that is the biggest challenge because, and I even noticed it like with my husband, I mean, he works from home now. So I find myself and my kids like, we'll just be interrupting him throughout the the day and what we have to remember is that he's working right now. Yes, he's here physically but he is at work. So we should not be interrupting him. Um so having that separate space and then, you know, scheduling the time, trying to if you have kids, get them out of the house, have a nanny that can take them out of the house. When we had a nanny, we had her take the kids to the library, to the zoo, get them out of the house so they're not there interrupting all the time.
0: Yeah, great tips and advice. It is it is a a challenge to balance all those things. And if you're fortunate to have those separate spaces, that's great. If you're in a tighter space, that makes it harder. So you have to apply some of those other ideas of getting the kids out sometimes Mm -hmm. and making sure you work together, especially in your case where both you and your husband uh, are home-based. That's, that's a big challenge. Oh yeah. And that was, you answered that. The other question I was going to ask, which is how do you strike that balance Mm -hmm. between work and life? So the scheduling, the separate spaces, and making sure that it doesn't turn into one long schedule where you're working all day. And what
1: I did, um, Henry, is I took, and I've actually put it back on my phone, but for a little while I took email off my phone because my big problem was that I was checking my email. Like, okay, maybe I wasn't at my computer at home, but I was out with the kids, but I still felt like because I was home, I was still kind of at work and I would just like check my email or look at Facebook and I was just constantly plugged in. So for a while, I just took email off my phone phone. And if I was not at my computer, I was not dealing with email and I need to take it back off my phone because I put it back on when I was at a conference and that's where you're, you're okay. never at your computer. So you do need to check <laughs> it on your phone. But, um, yeah, I mean, separate, just keeping it separate and it, it, it can, it, it can really feel like it's fluid and you can be working in with the kids all at the same time. But I think that your family will love you more <laughs> if you're not trying to divide your attention between your business and them at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's such a great tip. When you did that, how what stretches of time did you go without checking email?
1: Well, I, you know, would basically I basically get to work. Um, it's usually about ten a.m. is where I can really be fully focused on my business um, without any distractions. You know, the kids are with the nanny or at daycare. So from ten until three or four ish, that is like dedicated work time. And then after that, if it's like Five, six, seven p.m. until the kids are in bed, I'm typically not going to look at my email. And I have to remember that email is not instant message that, you know, somebody, a client, anyone could email you and expect you to respond, you know, an hour later. But if they email you at five o'clock and you're with your kids for a few hours, then it's five o'clock and I'm not at my office right now. I just try to remember that it's, you know, I will respond in business hours. And sometimes I'll get back on my computer at nine o'clock after the kids are in bed and we're just kind of sitting on the couch. But I try to remind myself of what's actually appropriate. And what's appropriate is responding within a business day or, you know, half of a business day. So if somebody emails you at five o'clock, it's totally fine to wait till the next day to respond.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great perspective. And I I would submit that you probably your business has not been detrimentally affected by you being off email for a few hours. Exactly,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Nothing nothing has crashed No, and burned. nothing
1: has crashed and burned. You're absolutely yeah. right.
0: <laughs> great, great points. So let's talk about podcasting and I wanna look at it from the perspective of the small business owner. They have a they have a business and they're thinking about maybe using podcasts to either grow that business, grow their audience. What are your thoughts and what are you seeing out there as to how small business owners are using podcasting?
1: The way that I see small business owners using podcasting most successfully is as a relationship building tool and as a networking opportunity. And I know some people hate the word network and they think it's icky, but at the end of the day, it's still, it's networking. It's getting to know lots of people in your industry, build you know making connections, getting yourself known to other people with those one-on-one conversations. So for example, a small business owner can start a podcast and if th- maybe they have a service-based business, they can be interviewing guests who they see as potential customers or potential clients of their business. Um, so, I mean, that's one way that a lot of people use it. They will specifically, you know, I have one client who's a business coach and he will interview people on his podcast that he thinks are people that would likely need his coaching. So he's spotlighting them, but then they also get a chance to get to know him on the podcast and maybe they go to his live event. Maybe they sign up for a free consultation for his coaching services. So using it as a networking opportunity and a relationship building tool is how podcasting can be very, very effective. Um, A lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners start a podcast because they want to be super famous and have a million followers. (laughs) not the fastest path to success. Let me tell you, let me tell you, it's really hard to build a podcast. I've been podcasting for a year and a half. Next week will be episode hundred of my, my podcast roads to success. And the audience is growing. It's going really well. But I mean, after like a week after my pod, my episode goes live, I'm right climbing at about 150 downloads an episode. I mean, That's a a niche audience. It's not thousands and thousands of downloads. And I've been working hard at it for, like I said, you know, a year and a half, always posting consistent episodes. So, I don't try to get thousands of downloads an episode. I focus on the relationships, the people I'm interviewing, the tips and the content that I'm delivering to my audience. And so for a small business owner, that's where your focus should be. Not on becoming super famous and having tons of listeners, but the types of people that you're connecting with for interviews and the types of, you know, the kind of content that you're delivering to the people that are listening.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. If I'm looking to get started in a podcast, where do you think people should start?
1: Yeah, that that can be a really confusing place. You're like, I want to start a podcast. I have no idea (laughs) where where to start.
0: Or or to even begin.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, just a couple basic things is what kind of format are you going to do? Are you going to interview people or are you going to do a solo episode? So if you're going to, uh, let's start first. Get a microphone. (laughs) <laughs> that is step number one. Get a microphone. <laughs> right. And I would recommend the ATR2100. That's a good dynamic microphone. It's not going to pick up a lot of background noise. Sounds really great. So get the ATR2100. Get some headphones or even earbuds or something so it's not coming out of the speakers. And something to record your voice. If it's a solo episode, if it's a solo podcast, all you need is something like Audacity or GarageBand and you can record right in there. Or if you are going to be interviewing people using Skype with a call recorder like Ecamm or Pamela. And then from there, it's just about either coming up with the content, you know, for a solo show or booking guests. And, you know, that's a, a probably a whole other episode how to find guests and everything but again you just want to know what the format is and just to kind of get started and really if a lot of that techie stuff confuses you and you don't know which way to go, or what to do, or even what questions to ask. I really recommend small business owners hire somebody, outsource those tasks. I work with uh, Podfly Productions, they edit my show. So I didn't want to learn how to edit and produce and upload to iTunes and all that stuff. So I just hired them, and for a few hundred bucks a month, all I have to do is record it and drop it in Dropbox. So that's the route that I would recommend small business owners. Know the value of your time. Um, You have a business to run. Don't worry about learning how to edit audio and hire someone so you can focus on the content and the relationships with guests.
0: That's great advice. What what do you see as some common or a common mistake that people make with
1: podcasting? They wait too long to start. (laughs) You know, they say, I'm going to start a podcast and then it's months and months and months before they ever launch. And then so much time goes by and then they lose focus and then they never launch. They just try to make it so perfect. So that, I think that is the number one mistake because the, an imperfect episode that launches today is better than the perfect episode that is in your Dropbox for the next three months. Cause you're just trying to make it perfect. And you're, con- you're trying to come up with the right marketing strategy and the right launch strategy. Just get your content out there. Just get it. Just get it live, <laughs> then it improves. You go.
0: It's great advice. Just launch, and I I suffered from that because I tend to be a perfectionist. Yeah. So everything had to be just right before we launched on iTunes, and you know the reality is I should have launched two months before I did, and I would have had that much more lead time on building an audience. So I, I think that's that's that was huge for me. That was a big issue for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think makes a good show?
1: What I think makes a good show is a host that is. Just being authentic and unique and conversational. I think the shows that are the worst are the ones where there's no personality from the host. And this is interesting because we see a lot of podcasts that are originally from radio, where the hosts are more like reporters and journalists, where they're asking questions, but you don't know anything about the host. You know, my friend Jessica Kufferman went to a conference in New York and it was for like women in the media. And she said it was so interesting being interviewed by like the people from, you know, C or, or NPR because their style is they are just asking questions. It's very much a reporter style interview. They're not giving any feedback or any conversation or any back and forth. It's just them. It's question and then answer question and then answer. And those are the podcasts that I hate because I think the value of a podcast is that you're getting this organic conversation between both people, the host. And the guests, so I think that what makes a great podcast is just a host being super genuine and conversational, and just being themselves. And that's what I love. I mean, Henry, you have done an amazing job, let me say, because we have gone off on so many different directions. You know, we we did this whole conversation about education, and I heard about how you have a daughter going to college. Like you haven't felt like, oh, this is the hell business. I can only talk about business. It was very much an organic conversation that that you let it go into all these different places. And I think that's what makes a great show is a host that just lets the conversation be organic.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's interesting insight that that traditional journalistic approach where the journalist must stay out of it, right? Their opinions don't come into it. Sometimes people bring that approach. However, mm-hmm. it can't turn into a show just about me. I sure. got to guest talk and, and speak, but there's a balance there is what you're saying. Yes. And and people want to listen to a an insightful conversation, mm-hmm. not uh, necessarily an NPR report. If I want that, I'll go to NPR. Yeah.
1: And, and the interesting thing is, so I have another show called The Podcast Producers, and we do that. I co-host it with Corey Coates, and we do that in seasons. Our first season um, was a 10-episode audio series about the art and business of podcasting. And Corey and I very much took the approach of being those reporters. We interviewed 28 people between the two of us, and we very much just wanted to report what our guests were saying. So our listeners didn't really get to know us. It was a great, great, great series, really well-produced. But the one thing we heard from listeners was that um, now that we're in season two, we just finished season two and we came way more out. Like it's totally like Gory and jazz are there. You're getting to know us laid back conversations. And we've got listeners that said, I know episode or season one was super fancy and high produced, and It was great, but Hey, I just like listening to you guys talk. I like hearing about you. So there is a difference between the reporter style interviews and podcasts where the hosts are just being much more real and open about themselves.
0: Yeah, extremely insightful. I think it's so telling as to what people are looking for with this medium. Um, all right, I want to take a, a right hand turn here and just ask you generally sure. what do you think has been one of the reasons for your success in business?
1: I am very committed. So, you know, in a lot of different things, like I don't give up on things. I, I have stayed very, very committed to, for example, videos, you know, I have been doing my weekly videos for over two years. I have been doing my podcasts, uh, weeklies for a year and a half, my business, really the the model hasn't changed. I am committed to keeping my business running. And when I look around at a lot of people that I know in business, Every six months, their focus is changing. Oh, the podcast isn't working. I'm going to change it up. Oh, my business is not taking off. I'm not getting any clients. I'm going to change my business. So I think that the number one reason I've been successful is that I just stay committed and I don't try to change things up when it's not working.
0: So that commitment and discipline, did you always have that or did you have to learn that the hard way?
1: I think I've always had it. I'm a pretty stubborn person. So I think that's kind of the where it comes from is just being really stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> Got it.
0: <laughs> All right, that makes sense. <laughs> all right. So we'll start to to wrap it up here. Tell me more about interview connections and the services that you all offer.
1: Yeah. So um, we are the premier source for booking outstanding podcast guests. So we help you rock the podcast from both sides of the mic. Essentially, it's pretty simple. If you want to be interviewed as a guest expert, we can be your booking agent and get you booked for interviews on podcasts. And then if you're a podcaster and you need guests, we can find and book guests for your show. So at interviewconnections.com, you can find all the details for both sides of the service that we have. If you go to interviewconnections.com, you'll see the info about being guest expert. And then you just click a tab that says podcast host, and that'll bring you to the info on finding guests for your show.
0: Wonderful. Um, and I'm I'm a customer, as I mentioned at the outset. Uh, another question for you that came to my mind what do you see as the future of podcasting?
1: It's interesting. I see the future of podcasting as another form of social media. Uh, I see podcasting as, you know, the barrier to entry is getting lower as the tech becomes easier. And I think more and more like regular people (laughs) will use podcasting as a way to converse with each other. You know, for obviously in our, in our industry and business, a lot of people use it to market their business, but I think more and more people are going to start podcasts as a way to just converse and hang out together. Like my husband and I started a podcast just because as a hobby. And we want to just talk to each other and talk to other people about, you know, this issue of homeschooling and and education and parenting decisions. And I think more and more people are going to podcast, just as so many people will, you know, have a blog, like a blog spot, you know, I think more and more people are going to start podcasting as a way to just get their voice heard.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. Thanks uh, for sharing that. One of the last questions I always ask is a book or a resource. You've mentioned some of the resources you use, Slack, High Rise for CRM, Basecamp, and then the book that will get the title to. Any other books that you've read recently that you would recommend to our audience?
1: Yeah, I would recommend Built to Sell by John Werlow. That is a great book for any service-based business owner or, I mean, really any business owner. If you feel like you are in your business a whole lot, this book will help you see the value in having a business that can operate without you. So even if you don't ever want to sell your business, it's it helps you envision the importance of having a business that could operate without you, that you could go on vacation or it's, you know, make it a sellable business. So that's a really, really great book that I would recommend.
0: Great. Thanks for that recommendation. Folks will have that and her other recommendations on our show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. All right. As we wrap it up, Jessica, any last thoughts or parting piece of advice for our audience, which is mostly uh, folks who are either looking to make that transition. They might be in the corporate world now and are looking and hoping to make that transition or existing small business owners that are always looking for tips and advice on how to grow their business
1: Uh, my big tip is as we talked about being committed is just to just be committed to your marketing um, and and just work to be marketing on all different platforms videos podcasts blogs that is what will position you as the authority figure in your niche is if you are persistently consistent with your marketing
0: Excellent. Thanks for sharing all of this great knowledge with us. Your story, very insightful. I learned a lot. And uh, where else, you mentioned obviously interviewconnections.com, where else should people go online to find out more about you and your business? Uh,
1: My home base on the web is jessicarhoades.biz, R-H-O-D-E-S, Rhodes jessicarhoades.b-I-Z. All of my blogs, podcasts, and videos are right there on that site. So that's where you can get in touch with me as well.
0: Fantastic. Jessica, you made this a great show. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Same here. Folks, thanks for being with us on this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The How of Business.
1: Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.